What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's going on, everybody? I hope y'all safe. I hope y'all well, and I hope y'all healthy. This is Ricky's Room Podcast, Episode Four, and I have the multi-talented Englewood's own Kenneth Brown II on this episode. I had the pleasure to meet Kenneth a couple years ago. I think it was around early 2021, and I met him at his collaborative partner multi uh, another multi-talented jazz musician Derek butler's uh crib in view park Derek, if you're listening what's up bro i hope you're good during this time i got to talk with kenneth and he just had this focused demeanor like you can tell that he was just locked in um very composed very detail oriented um definitely not somebody to play around in August 2021, I rode with Kenneth and Derek to a studio in Anaheim, California, where they were rehearsing for an upcoming concert. While there, I met Joshua Childress, another dynamic musician and a friend of Kenneth, who was present at the session playing the saxophone. Shout out to Joshua. Man, let me tell you something. That jazz session was nothing else. The music that I heard, the collaborative effort, the fun that they was having, it was different. And during this time, I got to videotape the session and talk to the folks and interview some people. It was cool, man. It was real cool. In January 2022, Kenneth hits me up. 
he and Joshua were collaborating on an album called The Rise, which is currently on all streaming platforms. The song that you just heard is titled Set the Tone, which is the sixth track off the project. And he was just like, hey, bro, uh, you still got that video footage? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, hey, I'm thinking about um, doing a video trailer for for the Rise album. And I was wondering if you could uh, put something together. And I was like, yeah, bro, I got you. So I edited a few trailers for them that you can see on YouTube and his website. And um, that was real cool. That was definitely fun to do. And I was honored to help them out in that regard. Let me tell y'all something too. The Rise, that album, fire. Real fire. If y'all like some good jazz, some good music, this is the one. Here's a little bit more background about Kenneth so y'all can be more familiar with him. I'm reading this off of his website, kennethbrownmusic.com, just to give y'all a disclaimer. He's pursuing a master's of music in trumpet performance at UCLA, studying with Jens Lindemann. Brown recently graduated from Morehouse College, earning a Bachelor's of Arts in music performance with an emphasis in trumpet with Melvin Jones while being a member of Morehouse's House of Funk marching band, symphonic concert band, and jazz orchestra, all under Dr. Chad E. Hughes. Brown also graduated from the Academy of Music and Performing Arts at Hamilton High School in Los Angeles. While at Hamilton, he was a member of their award-winning jazz bands and wind ensemble. In 2018, Brown helped lead Hamilton's Jazz Ensemble A to be one of the finalists at the Monterey Next Generation Festival. The Grammy Foundation selected Brown as a Grammy Emerging Artist in 2016 and 2017. In 2018, Brown was also selected to participate in the Monk Institute, LAUSD's Beyond the Bell All-City Jazz Big Band. Kenneth is also a winner of scholarships, including the California Legislative Black Caucus Frederick M. Roberts Scholarship and the Spirit of a Dream Award by the I Have a Dream Foundation. He's collaborated with big artists, including Master P, Roddy Rich, worked on the Variations Project, directed by Devontae Hines from Blood Orange, Chloe and Halle, and Kelly Rowland. He was also featured in the LA Voyage magazine in 2020. His career goals are to perform, tour, compose, arrange, and record with the world's most renowned artists in the music industry. And he's just getting started. This convo between me and Kenneth took place on Saturday, February 11, 2023, at 2.12 p.m. How's everything been going, bro? Like, what you been on? And um, so I'm in grad school right now at UCLA. So that's been going that's been going pretty smooth so far because it's really just mostly ensembles. Then really one one class you just got to do research on, and it's been it's been really um it's been really amazing. Then um, just this past month, um, I also have a monthly residency at the at the uh, Miracle Theater now in Inglewood, and that's yes, been sir. going really smooth. Um, helped on my alma mater for the um Jazz Education Network conference, so like. Basically, I was just helping them coach them out, and they performed with Sean Jones and Tio Fuller and Omar Latif, and, you know, they had a fun time. It was just an inspiring trip. Then a few months prior from, like, the telling of 2022, I, you know, I got the chance to do The Voice and perform with um, 
Solange John Legends team um for that um for that stint and also performed with Chloe Halley and um Andrew Day over at uh Beyonce's mom's um art gala that she hosts every year for the past like five or so years. So yeah, I I, I had a lot going on during um during these past couple of months, but I'm I'm just blessed to, you know, to be able to do all this um coming straight out of uh, undergrad and going into uh, grad school immediately. Wow. That Man, I ain't, okay. I know, so I know. Look, look, okay. Uh, first of all, I knew you was busy, but and I knew you had a lot of big things going on, but I ain't yeah. know that that you know wide. That's I'm not gonna lie, wide. like when when I got back here, like in May or June, I had literally little to nothing going on at all. So really, I was either doing um gigs here to there. Well, suddenly I did two big gigs. I did you know um. I did Disney Hall, which I do every year with almost every year with um the University Youth Orchestra of Los Angeles. Then I did this um right tribute show to um Miles Davis's and Gil Evans' sketches of Spain back in um uh, back in June. But those were, like the only two like big things I had um during that time before I, you know, picked up the um other gigs back um with uh Chloe and Halley and the voice and you know, everything else trickling down to that. Right. Right. But yeah, it's just um it's just a blessing to do all this um for real. So that's awesome, bro. Um, now, like you get you get paid for those gigs, right? I'm assuming because oh, abs- absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. If, if yeah. they weren't, I've been like, I, I, I'm not doing that gig. <laughs> I feel that, bro. I feel that. Um, so, so, uh, you, so you still playing the trumpet, and you know, yeah, setting your skills yeah. up. Like, what made you fall in love with the trumpet? Honestly, um, I read this book called Trouble of the Swan in third grade. And the takeaway from that was the swan was playing the trumpet in order to communicate to others. So I thought about using the trumpet as just, you know, to communicate musically to my audience and just to, you know, lift people's spirits up. And, you know, that really happened for me um, for that meeting, actually, during when I started Front Yard Groove during uh, peak of COVID with um, with Derek and Joshua and um, Cole and Dan and all of them. Um, during that time those are those are interesting times though but essentially like I just wanted to you know basically have a voice through a different means because I I was growing up really like I wasn't the most talkative kid in class I was always the quiet kid honestly mm-hmm. yeah. but personally like someone that always you know saw everything differently so that's why I picked up the trumpet then um one time I um my father showed me tapes of um, Miles Davis and went to Marcellus uh, one time. I was like, oh, cool. It would be cool to sound like that one day. And to be uh, specific, it was Miles Davis' So What from Off a Kind of Blue. Then Classic. went to Marcellus. Yeah, then went to Marcellus playing um, the Carnival of Venice, which is like a huge standard in uh, in trumpet literature mm. in the classical sense. So that's how, I, that's how I picked up trumpet. But before that, I had I picked up piano around like three or four. Um, so like I had a little bit of musical training before I picked up the trumpet, so I knew what like notes sounded like and everything. Wow. So, so you do you still play the piano? I do from time to time. Um, usually I go to the piano as just you know for for composition reasons. So let's say if I had like a tune or an idea I had in my head, I would just go on the piano and just you know experiment and say, okay, which chords work the best with this melody I have in mind in my head or whatever idea I had mm. um that I have at the time. Got you, got you. So, how old were you when you st- when you picked up the trumpet? I think I might have been. Let me see. 
I was eight years old when I picked it up. So it was uh, during like the beginning of third grade year. For sure, for sure. And during that during that time, I, I was a part of this program called the um, Southeast uh, Symphony Association. Basically, it's like an every Saturday program that happens over at Laces High School, like okay. right down the street from Hammy, uh, which I graduated from. I graduated from Hamilton High School. But one of my first teachers actually was Kamasi Washington's father, Ricky Washington. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And and it was a blast, too, because like uh, Mr. Washington introduced me to like literally everything um, for jazz wise. So like I already knew about Miles Davis and Winton, but he put me on to like Clifford Brown and Lee mm. Morgan and uh, and John Coltrane. And that's when, like, okay, this is I could explore that a lot more, and I I did a lot more of that during high school, um, because I went to I went to music academy or like a managed arts program, so like, basically everything is osmosis over there. Mm-hmm. Now, like when you first started playing, was it was it like bread and butter, off rip, or was it uh, a struggle? And then once you started really picking it up, you know, it was fine like did you hate it at first or did you feel like this was oh yeah like i'm nice at this and i really gotta lock in it was more it was more both because the trumpet is like it's it could be physically challenging as well as mentally challenging Mm. so really like when it comes down to trumpet particularly if you don't have like a calm mind you will not you will not you will not sound good but during that time i i accepted it as like really a challenge just to like okay let me do my absolute best on on this on this thing on this piece of metal and it became and it became fun because of you know the challenge as well as like the process and the results of that. So I was more enamored from like the process of getting better on on the instrument as well as the results that it will hold. Got you. That makes sense. That's really cool. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's something right there. So when you first met, going back to meeting uh Mr. Washington, how was yeah. how was he like as a uh as a teacher and as a person to you he was cool man he was he was like he was probably like actually he's he's one of the coolest teachers i had um for real for real so and really too like he would he would give us something that we would work on and if we practiced it it'll it'll be cool but if we didn't you know he would kind of give us a little bit of lecture like you know not practicing mm-hmm. but at the end of the day like um mr washington was like really inspiring in terms of like just um being explorative in nature and that's what's kind of that was instilled in my mind as a child just to be explorative um in in every aspect of life so uh really too like and he and he was off and he was really wise as well and and he knew a lot of the jazz great so like his um one of his teachers was harold land who played saxophone for clifford brown and he also wow. and, and and uh mr washington also knew lee morgan mm. um too so like it it was all connected um during that. So really like Mr. Washington was really an inspiring teacher um, just to just to learn from. And I still talk to him to this day. You know, he's always around with his son, and, you know, and touring and everything. But, you know, I, I always catch up with him from time to time and That's see fire. how he's doing. That's fine. Have you ever met uh, Kamasi at all? Yeah, I, I met him. I met him. I met him a few times. I first met him when I was, I think, a sophomore junior in high school. And it was cool. Then I didn't I didn't talk to him again until really 2018 because I did this scholarship competition called um I think it was called like the Beverly Hills AXO mm-hmm. and I remember I was getting ready to play my tune and everything I was just walking around the church right because it happened during the church now here I see Kamasi walk walk down the stairs I'm like I'm supposed to be in Europe he's like nah man I'm just I'm back for I'm just back for a couple <laughs> days and I was like okay okay cool so I I did this classical piece then 
I did this jazz piece and I remember Kamasi just holding this phone and filming it. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So <laughs> then um then after that, I the re recently I, I saw him at a jam session at the um townhouse in Venice and uh he just popped up and I was like, oh, good to see you again. He's like, Yeah, man, I saw your dad at Costco. I was like, You what? I was like, Yeah, man, I saw your dad at Costco. I was like, All right, all right. He's like, where you? I was like, where are you at now? I mean, I I I heard from my dad, heard from my pops, you were, you were at Morehouse for a bit. I was like, yeah, I graduated now. I'm over at UCLA for my master's degree. I have my own project. I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And you know, basically the what, basically like um, Masi's father and Kamas are just family friends of mine. Word, so, word. that's 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 really cool. Over and there, so, it's it's nice to have somebody, um, you know, that's obviously prestigious in the art that yeah. you're in that's mm -hmm. still you know kin that that's yeah. always that's always a blessing and that's always absolutely a, absolutely it always helps too because it's it's a safe space where you don't really necessarily need to feel uh performative to them of course you want to impress them and do your best when it comes to your work but you yeah you're not and correct me if i'm wrong but you're not even really i mean i'm sure you see in kamasi as like a you know you know one of the greats but mm -hmm. but you've seen him more like as a person, like an, as a family friend, rather than a you know artist. Yeah, I, artist. I, I I I still see him as as a homie. That's I still I still see him as like the homie, but also as one of the greats too, because it just you know right. This is story like just going touring with Snoop Dogg, doing Kendrick Lamar's album, all the way to like where where he is now. It's like it's a, it's amazing to see that. Right. It's inspiring okay. to see. It's it's inspiring to see that progression. Yeah. Uh, from Kamasi and, and along with that too like there aren't that many um people from like born and raised in LA are actually like doing it doing it you know yeah. like making making something off of this music or making something off of music music period there are a yeah. lot of us I mean there are a few of us but there aren't that many of us like in the upper echelons upper echelons of the music scene in Los Angeles agreed so, agreed I feel like him uh uh Terrence Martin you know yeah, him and Terrence too yeah they they i feel like they are i was actually just talking about this with my dad and my cousin um they i feel like they are setting the tone no pun intended because that's one of your songs <laughs> but uh i feel like <laughs> technically technically like it's one it's one it's one of joshua's but i i, oh, I, I got you, you i got you sure. it's all good it's all good, yeah. it's all good. <laughs> but they they um they i feel like they send the tone of a new generation of jazz musicians and jazz lovers, yeah. mm -hmm. you know um which is which is much needed i feel like in uh this era of music so that's really really yeah cool. they're more like the face of the west coast honestly in terms for of sure. jazz for sure no question about it now do you know any people that's like from the east coast that's like at that respected level because i don't and i'm curious if you knew anybody like that i know of a few people but i, I don't know anyone um Actually, I do, but not not on the level of them, but still like still really prestigious. But he's out here now. Uh, Dante Winslow. Dante Winslow. Okay, I'm about to check. So essentially, did a lot of stuff for Kanye and Jay Z, Erica Campbell, Justin Timberlake, trouble player too. But he moved out here like twenty five years ago, I think, if if I'm not mistaken, at least more than that. Oh, okay. But he's he's been playing with Terrence and Kamasi like since the two thousands ish. So. That's the guy that actually got me the gig to do uh, the Grammys of Roddy Rich. Right, actually, so. right. 
And how was that? Like when you did you ever meet Roddy or were you just kind of like in the background, just you know, playing your trumpet and going home? Um it was a little bit of both, honestly. Like I met Roddy, but like I didn't have a conversation with him. Like I was around the vicinity. Right. Um, but that whole experience was actually really, really like life-changing for me because I looked up to Dante since I was like 14 or 15. Cause I was like, okay, this is the standard that I actually I have to I have to meet one day. And doing all the work he's done, like if you just look up his website and everything, like he does trumpet production, composition, arranging, like he, he does the whole nine, right? Mm -hmm. So seeing someone like that in action and the way he executes and how he just upholds himself in the sessions, it was like, okay, I'm learning a lot of that alone from even from like even more than the lesson, honestly. But just seeing Dante in action was like it was such a it was such a blessing to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I learned more about um really the music scene and what and what goes on so like i learned more about um you ever heard of this academy called like the 1500 sound academy i know of it but not too much uh so basically it's ran, heard about it basically it's ran by a hip-hop band and they've been playing for every known rapper ever on the on like the face of the planet they're called 1500 and nothing so like they were a part of they were a part of um they were a part of that stem with the grammys as well two years mm -hmm. ago so wow. like, i learned more about them and uh and what they do and i was like okay like i definitely like i understand now so just from that whole experience it like opened my eyes up and also too like i remember talking to um one of my uh professors at morehouse melvin jones about it because um basically he he put me in contact with dante in the first place so um i remember him telling me it's like yeah man i think this might have been the moment where you know you realize like this music life has actually chosen you and you not choosing it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I understand. I understand. Yeah. So it was like, okay, like I'm inspired from like this whole experience. Now let me go forward with this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you just felt like the sign, the one thing about, you know, passions is, you know, the signs will definitely show you that this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, and really so even talking with, um, talking with Dante during during that time, um, it was surprising to me because we had like the same common things that we wanted to do. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to perform and write, produce and do everything musically at the highest level, but also, you know, give back and help out. And that was like, okay, definitely, definitely. Like that was like a definite common denominator um, between me and Dante and the realization like, okay, I could definitely do this because there's someone that looks like me that's doing this. And there's also someone else looking at me that's doing this is also teaching me a morale. So I was like, okay, this is definitely this is definitely possible. Where was there ever a, a period in your life where you felt like you just wanted to just stop making music and just be like, man, this is some bullshit. I'm not gonna do this no more. Yeah. Fuck man, fuck this trumpet bullshit. I I quit. Dude, I'm not doing I this shit. Yeah, it, it was during high school when I was over at Hamilton during my junior year. It was like, for me, at least going through my mind, because I was going through a lot um, personally at the time. Mm -hmm. It was like, dang, is this is this like actually worth it to actually do this? And, you know, I remember that summer going into senior year because I went to um, I went to a camp um, at Burley College of Music and seeing um, Sean Jones in action, seeing him playing, being him around, being around him and, you know, being around other uh, my fellow students at the time during that whole week and it was like okay i'm i'm real back in i'm locked in let, let's do this and mm -hmm. during that time too even when i got into morehouse and everything like i was still unsure that this music thing was actually cut out for me 
like I had the ears. I had I I definitely put in the work. from the time i had the talent but i was like okay is this actually worth doing it then once i took lessons with melvin did everything during COVID that i did with front yard groove um having my first shot the musical theater as a band leader playing alongside with jane jane Clo, doing uh stuff with blood orange performing with kelly and roddy doing commercial with discover la and you know realizing okay this is actually this is what this is what kind of feels like doing this thing for real for real and being happy about what having without having to worry in the world it was like wow, okay, I can actually do this. Because I'm like, I performed on the biggest stage ever, mm -hmm. known to man, at like, at such a young age. Because I was, I think I was 21 at the time when yeah. I did this, yeah. at least 21 years old. Because I, I was like, okay, if I'm this young doing that, imagine what I could do if I put in this type of hard work from now until the next big thing in my life, career-wise or life-wise. And I was like, okay, I could definitely do this, no problem. Yeah, I just have yeah. to stick it through. And and even so, like another time where it was like, dang, I just don't feel like doing this um, anymore. It was like in between graduation and the first day of school for UCLA. It was like, dang, I don't even feel like doing this anymore because I'm like, I'm not getting the opportunities I'm having. I'm not really getting that. Um, not much attention, but not not that much respect and like saying, OK, this is what I do. And this is and I did it from Morehouse and the HBCU. Everyone kind of just like either says okay and moves on with their lives or like just kind of flat ignores you and it's just mm -hmm. like it's it's infuriating but it's like okay no i gotta remember what i was taught or what i've learned and i just have to stick it through the next thing you know like once i got that um once i got that call for you know the art gala and everything it you know everything kind of went like you know a domino effect yeah as as um as many people would say so right 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 a lot of things started to um to echo your point unfold once you yeah. uh just stay once you stay like locked in. I mean that's mm -hmm. a hell of a that's a hell of a struggle though too. Like you know I think it's just uh, being patient too. Like being yeah. patient and just finding a finding a solution. Right. And say, okay, how can I get out of this? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. That's hard. That's that's very hard to do for sure. And uh why'd you why did you pick uh Morehouse? By the way, I just want to point out like um, you and my dad are kind of similar in some ways. My dad plays saxophone. Um, from from uh as a right, kid, and, to, and your father's also a Morehouse grad. Yeah, and he went to UCLA for grad school as well. Oh wow, that's that's crazy. Well, <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Honestly, Morehouse was kind of instilled in me since I was a kid because my father always wanted me to um go to Morehouse. Mm -hmm. So like. Any child photo I had, uh, any photo I had of myself as a as a kid, I always wore more. I was like paraphernalia. But when I got to my senior high school, I was like, okay, I have Berkeley College of Music, I have USC, and then there was Morehouse. So um, I didn't get into USC um, from undergrad. I yeah. was like, well, I'm bummed out about it, but at least I have Berkeley College of Music from Morehouse. Yeah. Berkeley accepted me, but didn't give me enough money, but. Morehouse was a different well, Morehouse was a different atmosphere when I visited campus. Um for the second time actually I went I went to homecoming in like I think the fall of 2017. Yes, mm -hmm. it was the fall of 2017. I went down there with my dad for an audition. And um I just remember just feeling this calm atmosphere of like, okay, I have nothing to worry about. And I feel and I felt at home. Because it was like it was different. It was like, wow, I'm actually feeling more at home than I am in my own house. Wow. Which is crazy. Wow. So um, and I remember having my audition, right? And 
essentially, I, you know, it was the band director, shout out to Dr. Hughes, um, that auditioned me. And I remember I played some, I remember I played something out of the Arvin's book. And I remember doing like the theme of that, which, which is basically like the main melody of the piece. Then, you know, it was followed by variations of it. Yeah. I remember he told me to play the last variation. I, I played the last variation with, I think, I don't think I even missed it. I really don't believe I missed a note at all. I don't think I missed a note. I remember him telling me, hey, you, you want to play something else? And I was like, yeah, I had I had a tune that I wanted to play. And he was like, okay, cool. Let's just start with the blues. And I remember him doing the blues in A flat. I didn't find the blues in A flat. No problem. And he was like, okay, what tune you want to play? I was like, okay, having with Miss Jones, which is like, which is a pretty fair standard. Falls a lot of, you know, falls a lot, falls a little bit of twists and turns, but not, not too crazy. I remember knocking that out. And he, you know, he throws another one at me. I knocked that one out. He was like, I want you in my program. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wow, this caught me off guard. Like, I never had no one else. I, I never had no one else tell me, like, hey, man, I want you in my program. Wow. You know? And that and that put something on me. I was like, wow, really? He's like, yeah. And he was super excited about it. Then mm -hmm. about a day or two later, he asked me and my father to come by the campus. And I think it was on, like, on that Friday um, before the game. I remember, you know, he was like, hey, go to Melvin Jones's office. And I knew I knew of Melvin. I mean, at the time, well, we called him Jones out just out of respect. But mm -hmm. um, and he told us to do that anyway. But I remember just swinging <laughs> by the um, sound like a, I think it's a southern thing or just like. Yeah, a, this is, a, yeah. Yeah. Or just an older, older generation type of thing. Yeah. And I remember just, you know, swinging by the office and he was and I remember him just playing his piano. I think one of his daughters was there, too, present. And um, he was like, oh, you must be uh, Kenneth Brown. And I was like, yeah, I guess new shot was fast. And he's like, hey, man, uh, welcome here. Uh, welcome to Morehouse. And I was like, hey, yeah, cool. He was like, you want to play it too? And I was like, yeah, let's just, you know, play this ballad real fast. And, you know, we played like the first half of the ballad before we got to the bridge. And I remember him and it turned into like, it turned into all the lesson about breathing, right? And it was like, wow, I've never actually been taught this way where it was more hands-on. And I was actually inspired after the fact, after the instruction. And I like I hadn't felt like that since Mr. Washington. Mm. Again, I had I had like another I had like a few other teachers over the over the time. And what separates decent teachers from good teachers from great teachers, decent teachers, they kind of just tell you, they just kind of tell you stuff. And they're like, okay, we're gonna throw this to win, you figure it out. Good teachers, they'll give you like the tools and everything and they'll tell you where it is. Great teachers, to me, honestly, they'll tell you where it is, give you the tools, but also inspire you to do that. Yeah. So really like best ones. Best ones. Basically, off of that simple lesson alone of breathing, like inspire me to be like, okay, I gotta breathe way better than I actually that I actually ever done before. And that and that left something profound in me. And it was like, oh wow, I definitely could see myself going, going to school and studying music here and being under him. And really, too, like from just to give a background of like Jones's uh, resume, um, Ray Charles won a Grammy with TLC, uh, toured with Tyler Perry's Medea, uh, played with PJ Morton, works with Adam Blackstone now, has I think about seven Grammys already uh, right now at, in present day of 2023. Sheesh. And basically a resume as long as uh, as long as Dante's essentially. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. So it was like, okay, cool. Like, I could definitely thrive here. No problem. And they gave me like a lot of money. They gave me a lot of money. 
Mm. And it was like, well, I'm a legacy student. The music program wants me to be here. And all I have to do is really like do marching band and the ensembles and everything and just go to class and everything. That's no problem. Little did I know when I got down there, I didn't realize the culture shock fact. But it was mm. like, but it was, but as I, as the decision became more clear, like by the time I graduated high school, I was like, okay, let me go to Morehouse. Right. And once I, once I tell people like, Hey, I'm going to the same school as Dr. King and Spike Lee and Sam Jackson. People were like, yeah. And some people were like, <laughs> some people were like really ecstatic about it. Mm-hmm. But then there was another side too, where they were like, really, why would you leave LA mm. for that? And again, like I, 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 at the time I was like, well, I just want I just wanted to change the scene, honestly. And um and later on, I, you know, I taught those people four years later, and there and I was like, yeah, during my time where I said did the Grammys, this, that, and the third, and you know, and learned a lot and was still able to, you know, musically as well as just, you know, well, really musically keep up with, you know, with with um some of my peers at PWIs. And you know, still still hang with the same ballpark with them. So it, they were like, okay, I understand why you went because of you know, because of the non-musical factors that you know that come with Morehouse. So one hundred percent. When you first went to Morehouse, was that your first time in Atlanta? And do you have any other family or friends that were there prior to you going there? I think I went to Atlanta two other times. One time as a kid, like I think I might have been five or seven at the time. Then another time was during my junior year of high school. So because I was a part of this uh, program called the I Have a Dream Foundation, uh, essentially. Gotcha. So they we would take college tours. So we took a college tour in Atlanta. So we went, so we visited Morehouse, Clark Atlanta, and Georgia Tech. So I remember talking to, um, just seeing the music department too, like just a little bit, but also seeing the campus too. Mm-hmm. But those are like the only times I I visited Morehouse before you know fall twenty seventeen. Now with the family part, I have I have a lot of family in Atlanta. Yeah, same. So, so that's good. Like how uh, so when you went down there, it wasn't too much. It wasn't you didn't feel uh, alienated when you got there. You feel it was like a shoe. No, not not at all. Um, because I honestly like there were. When I got down there, honestly, the only thing I had to deal with was like getting used to the environment of Morehouse, mm-hmm. as well as getting used to the weather. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the the weather got me, man. Because like I, I remember during my first semester, I think oh, I got God. sick at least twice Damn. off of just weather changes. And it was like, ah, man, I I don't know if I could deal with this. <laughs> then um, then making wait. friends was no problem either. So wait, were you there? Um, so because you got to Morehouse when? Uh, fall of eighteen. Okay, yeah, I was there. I was definitely. So I think there. that I was, was during your there. senior year, but we never yeah. met. Right. We didn't meet until I, like I, I think we didn't meet till COVID. Honestly, after COVID, yeah, I because mm-hmm. I just uh, I graduated at that time from Clark, so right, right. Uh, so I ended up going back home after that, mainly you know for work and chilling, but and COVID, yeah. yeah, for sure. And speaking of COVID, how did how did COVID affect you? Um as a not even not even as an artist but how did it just affect you uh as a person like did it did it teach you something did you move different uh yeah, what, it, what it were the positive me. effects and the negative effects so i'll start with the positive i'll start with the negative effects i think it was because of 
really like during the time too when I was um in school, like I took most of my major classes. Well, the gen ed gen ed stuff like started to like started to peel off a bit during mm -hmm. during that time for for my junior year and senior year. Well, really my junior year. Um, but really too, I think during that time, I think we kind of lost for me at least the negative effect was just interacting with my peers at Morehouse yeah. face to face face to face. Um then, you know, just being inside. Um, I was cool with it. I was cool with it. But it was like, man, like it would be cool just, you know, just to travel for a little bit, then come back. But we couldn't do that. Um for the positives though, it changed my perspective because really like if you look at the product what was going on in the world at the time, like it was a it was like a whole plot of morality from, you know, the shutdown, George Floyd, mm -hmm. the um the marches and um and everything. So for for the aspects I learned was that with the COVID cases in particular, like people die every single day. Right. So we gotta make the most of everything. And that hit me, that hit me hard, especially when um before like a tab before COVID when Kobe passed away. Because it was like any it was like, okay, anybody could die. Yeah. At any rate. Then um so that made me realize, okay, I have to give it a hundred percent every single day. Even when I don't even when I don't feel like it, as well as okay, I'm gonna give myself a hundred percent even if I'm not feeling a hundred percent. Then when I started um front yard groove with Derek and um and Noe Boone, um that gave me the opportunity to really be a leader and to grow as a leader and to make mistakes that weren't really like repercussion or didn't have like a major effect. It was like, okay, it was just a major, it was, it was like a, it was a small slip up. Okay. Like I gotta go back to the lab and like, you know, and reevaluate and say, okay, this is what I gotta do next time. You know, note the self. Another part I learned too, was that. Well, really too, I, when, even when I was during my first two years at, um, in college, I, I had a hard exterior because I was all, because really like, you ever heard of the term uh, product of environment or product of your environment? Yeah, of course. With with Hamilton, like it was it was friendly, but like during during my particular department of that of the jazz department, like it was a bit toxic. I'm not gonna lie, it was a bit toxic just to be blunt with it. It was mm -hmm. a bit toxic. So like I was I was my mind was conditioned to be used to being in that toxic environment, keeping my guard up all the time. And really just kind of like stamping on people. But like at the same time, like during COVID, like I learned how to be more empathetic towards people and say, okay, everybody has a struggle. Everyone, everyone's going through something. Right. So I have to be, at least I have to be, I, I got to be nice essentially. Mm. And I got to understand what I got to stand. I got to understand um, what it's like in their shoes first, first and foremost. Yeah. Another thing I learned too, was really the benefits of being at HBCU. Cause I, I knew the benefit. I understood the benefits, but I didn't understand until I talked to my other peers that went to um, going to squat here in LA. Cause they're like, man, we gotta deal with the racism, gotta deal with the bullshit here and there. I was like, oh man, I dodged a missile going going to Morehouse. So <laughs> then, um, really, just everything, everything else from my experiences, um, in my career from um, Blood Orange all the way to Discover LA during that during those seventeen months of um of just being being back at home and going to school online. So, right. So your UCLA program, that's all online. That's what you've been doing. Oh no, it's it's face to face. Oh okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. That's 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 a hell of a journey. 
don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> the the evolvement of uh Kenneth. Yeah. You know, from 2020 to 2023. Uh, really? Yeah. And, and it's it's a, a it was a hell of a trajectory, especially during COVID. Yeah, um and quick and really quickly too, because I didn't realize, okay, this 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 thing was like coming at me fast, like yeah. just going at me fast. Yeah. And even when I got back tomorrow, I was during my senior year to finish my degree, like I took the experience while I learned during COVID and just, you know, made the best of it um, while out in Atlanta. So like, and I grew a lot during, during that, during that year. Cause I think it was an underrated year, honestly, um, in most aspects of people, but um, really during that time, like finished the project with Joshua, which is, yeah. which is now out. And really too, I finished, I tried, you know, I was just making sure I finished what I started. Um, with those lessons with uh with Jones and everything. So really with Jones, like during that last time, you know, basically lay down the law and everything I, I had to learn outside outside of these walls, right. essentially. Well, yeah, like I do say that, you know, during uh that particular time in 2020, I feel like a lot of the kids or a lot of young young folks, you know, 18 to 30, or mm-hmm. even maybe maybe everybody really kind of grew up a lot faster. And it is yeah, going to be exactly. interesting. It is I think be it's because, like the, I think it's because like the world stood still. Yeah, and just you know, and what we saw, like, because everything during that year was like super negative. Yeah, or like just had a terrible impact on things. And it was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta buckle up and we gotta like tighten up, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of Word. us, ha- and most of us have tightened up. Some of us have kind of sadly trailed behind because we didn't see that yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. uh Going reflecting on your comment on your skills as a leader, that can be hard, right? Um, yeah, I guess because I'm, I'm comparing it to sports, you know what I'm saying? If you yeah. you sit like Kobe, for instance, right? Going back to Kobe, mm-hmm. you know, he had uh, obviously he was tenacious, but uh, some of his teammates will say that he was mean, he was an asshole, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. but um, you know, obviously, even with Michael Jordan, too, but. Uh, there was, they even them they themselves even had to learn, you know, a little bit, a little bit of patience, and a little bit, a little bit had to be a little bit more empathetic to their teammates. That way, uh, everybody could be on one accord. But sometimes that can be hard, you know what I'm saying? Because you don't want yeah, sometimes it, it, you don't want to be, be too be, nice to the point where people are taking advantage of your kindness. No, it could it could it could be so difficult. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but that's really cool how uh you were able to you and your your guys are moving on a similar frequency of you know obviously treating each other with you know kindness and compassion but still like being like hey yo like we gotta get this done but y'all do it out of respect so mm-hmm. that's really cool and so how did you meet uh josh and how did you meet uh Derek? like have y'all known each other since okay. y'all was kids i've known Derek since i was a kid but i didn't meet him like for real well we know each other as kids right but we lost contact with each other like over the years. I didn't meet him again until like 2017 when he was about wow. to take off for college. Wow. So how then was we started that playing. How was that yeah. reconnection? If, 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 I to be honest, it was like, oh man, this was like a member of the family. Like I, I just didn't get, I just didn't get to know. Right. So, yeah. Then we started playing together like New Year's of 2018 where we were playing over at um, somebody's house over in the Derrick community. Mm-hmm. So it was myself and Derek, then his brother Justin, then about um, two others. 
Um, and we just started playing. It was like, man, I, I, I love playing with Derek. And, and I was awesome. And after that, the rest was history. Then during that time, during my senior year of college, we just, you know, we started making more beats and everything. So that's been kind of like our thing to do now, nowadays. So like we we're working on a project where it's just nothing but um, not just making beats and everything off of Ableton. Ooh. Now with, now with um, Joshua, I met him, I met him my sophomore year of high school. And there was this master class that was going on at El Camino that, um, that they hosted and Bob Mincer was um was kind of the guy that was giving the master class. Wow. I heard Joshua play. And it was like, oh wow, man, this guy is smooth, bro. Then um we played together and it was like, you know, it was like it was like this, you know, mm -hmm. locked yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Then I never got his contact information, but I saw him again for a scholarship competition two years later during my senior high school. And at the time, um I think it was a sophomore at Biola University. And he was killing it too, but we we both didn't win anything. We we did not win anything. Uh, but that's a whole different can of worms. But mm -hmm. then um, once I had social media, because um, I didn't have social media at all until I was like sophomore in college. But I saw Joshua on social media. Basically followed him. He followed me back. Then next, you know, um, when I started Fun Yard Groove and you know decided to um, do a concert at my house, I was like, yeah, I need a saxophonist. Or I need another, you know, I need another player that could like, you know, that could lift, that could like lift the band musically as well as like, you know, give the crowd some momentum to go off of. Yeah. So Joshua was like the first person that came to mind. And I hit up Joshua in the DMs on IG and say, hey, man, are you available on this day and this time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he came through. Wow. So, and after that, the rest was history. Then, you know, he kind of nudged me to do, he's like, man, we should do a project. I was like, yeah, I'll think about it then. As, as as the wheels of time went forward um like a little bit over six months later they were like yeah let's do this project mm -hmm. and that was it word i dig i dig that shout out to joshua man shout out to, yeah, shout to joshua yeah shout yeah. out to joshua shout out to Derek. um shout out to noe boone shout out to dan kwok tim yeah. rockbar carl galaji and cole seinber like those are those are my guys during that time during coping that part that part Mus musically speaking like those are my guys during coping so, That's and Darwin Aguilar too, because okay. Dar Darwin was there for Dar Darwin was there for a bit too. Um, but yeah, shout out to all those guys. They, they were amazing. They're all were, amazing. Were yeah, yeah, they are. Like all y'all are mad talented. Y'all got skills. Like y'all should be, you know, touring, like going to going to a whole bunch of countries and cities and putting everybody on to good gems because y'all make some good yeah. music, man. Like for mm -hmm. sure. And uh, speaking of Josh too, like. Um, he he's he's a, just a real genuine guy like he's always looking out for you mm -hmm. too like when y'all when y'all hit me up about you know editing y'all trailer for uh the rise you know he hit me up a couple times after that he was just like hey i got a friend that's looking for a photographer uh and i referenced you you know what i'm saying so he always yeah, yeah. he always looked out for me in that regard um and he, he's just a good and talented funny yeah you know funny dude too you know what i mean like he he real cool. And of course, Derek, you know, Derek's Derek, right? He, yeah. he, that, that's genuine cool dude as well. That's in all name. honesty, Derek referred me to you for those trailers. Really? Yeah. Derek referred me to you. Well, shit. And I, I told Josh, to do it. I was like, Hey man, we should, we should get this guy to do it. And it was more fitting too. Cause it was like, well, you graduated from Carcalana. It was like, we got to make this right. Word. Then, I... you know, I just, I just took, I just took Derek's word for it. And I was like, Hey, let's, let's get him on board. 
Hey, shout out to all right, Derek. Shout out to you, bro. I'm gonna give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> That's what's up. That's really cool. I mean, it kind of makes sense though, because you know, when we first met, I was telling him what I was into and you know, making videos and and uh, editing at the time. So, yeah, that's 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 really cool, bro. I like that. Um, so when y'all was making the rise, mm -hmm. um, what was a song that y'all made where this is like, oh, what was the first song that y'all made off the album where y'all was just like, oh yeah, we got this. Like this will be, this will be tough. Hmm. Honestly, it was the song Life. Because we we kind of like, we kind of like, I'd hit him up and I was like, hey man, I had this idea that I have in my head. Because like at the time too, like I just didn't really know how to compose that well in the jazz idiom yet. Mm. So I was like, hey Josh, we should write this tune together. And I and I gave him like artists and ideas. Then we kind of like sat down and we were like, okay, let's write this tune out. And and that, that was it. So Life was kind of like the tune that we, you know, that, that stuck together. And it was like, okay, we could, we could do this, no problem. Footsteps mm -hmm. was the most iconic one, but mm -hmm. Derek wrote that a majority of that. I just happened to write the bridge because he was like, "Hey man, I just need I just need some I just need you to help me write a bridge for this." And I was like, "Oh, okay, I got you." And that kind of became like the most popular song off the project. Wow. Life is like a, life and Lone Monk are like close seconds, but Lone Monk belonged to Tim's, and Tim suggested it. And I was like, "Hey, I don't mind actually playing this at all. He's a cool. We play this, and he, you know, he gave us he gave us my uh, he gave me and Joshua um, his blessing. He was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And um, then Dan, Dan Kwok also, you know, contributed as well. Then um, Josh contributed, uh, set the tone. One by one was mine, but um, it was my first time I ever written, but it was like, ah, it's, 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 it's like, it's all right compared to like the rest of the stuff that I have that I'm going to like release in the next year or so. Mm. But um, it kind of was also belonged to Josh as well. So Basically, basically, it was like it was a mix of guys, but like I just happened to do like for me at least, honestly, like I happened to do just a little bit of things, but still like, but still try to be like the leader of, of it all and say, hey man, this is where we're gonna meet this, that, and the third. And Joshua was also the leader of that too. Mm -hmm. So really, like Josh already had a project under his belt, so I was really learning from him and saying, okay, this is what happens when you do a project, or mm -hmm. this is what this is what the works I have to learn, and um really too like when i um when i got done there my senior year um and went on and went on to melvin i mean jones I, I, he's gonna kill me for the last <laughs> second, but, but um i remember i remember doing my auditions right and I, I was doing usc for my masters i was like hey um why not try this again and see if something happens differently then i remember having more experience of that from what i learned from jocelyn how to write tunes then um my bad. Then um, Jones was like, "Hey, you got this idea you have in your head, or anything, or any idea?" I was like, "No." And I remember walking back to class. I was like, "I do." And I remember going to my phone, going to voice memos because like I had this because I I played this line. I was like, "Okay, let me get this line into the lab with, with Jones." And Jones mm -hmm. gave me points and suggestions and told me the theories of everything. And it was like, "Oh wow, I could actually." I was like, "Okay, if this is if this is how you do it, really, really." Let me try it again on my own terms. Next thing you know, I, I come out with um let me see. I come out with four more tunes. Wow. Right during that during that year. Wow. And uh one of them is gonna go on the next project between me and Derek, but three of them are gonna be happening years later. But the next thing you know, I was like, okay, let me 
if I'm being explorative, let me just try things that I haven't tried yet. So like, let me write for big band. Right. Mm. And he's mm -hmm. like, Hey man, like I like the ideas and everything. We should check out this book. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll check out this book. And I was like, Hey, like I'm looking at the text of this book. It's like, okay, I could do this. No problem. I just got to put in the time and got to find the right people that could give me pointers when I'm, when I'm back at home. But essentially, right. Cause I haven't told people this a lot. I hardly tell people this, but I was like, yeah, I think I have about like maybe two to three more projects. Like I have after the rise. And it's like, okay, wow, this is where my this is where my evolution as an artist is gonna is gonna go. So um if that if that answers the question. I know I wouldn't I know nah. like I, I completely went no, off, no, the, you good. off the road on this, but you good, you good, you good. Wow. Essentially without like... without Josh like, you know, pushing the nudge and saying, Hey, we need to do this. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have these future installments I'm working on right now for my own uh for my own um for my own designs as an artist. Got you. Got you. Big up, Joshua, man. Yeah, shout out to Joshua. Wow. So, like, it had to be fun working on that, too, right? Like, y'all wasn't, like, squabbling or nothing like that while working on this project. Nah, like, we had to... There were some... There were, like, a few... We, we weren't, like, fighting, arguing, but, like, we had some disagreements, like, just yeah. some small disagreements, but, like, for me, at least, I had to make sure I had to find common ground with Joshua and, you know, and making sure, like, we had the same vision in mind mm -hmm. on everything. Yeah. And that's kind of, like, the hard part of doing the collaborative project because, like, if, if you're doing a collab project with someone that you barely know, it's going to it's gonna be hard. But if, yeah. you know, but if you've known them and, you know, worked alongside them for, like, at least months or if not years, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be gravy because, like, y'all have the same... Y'all basically know each other off the back of y'all hand, mm -hmm. essentially. Has there ever so, been... I'm sorry, keep going. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Has there ever been a project, you don't have to, you do not have to say names, but has there mm -hmm. ever been a project that you worked on where uh, where you uh, didn't get along with somebody or has there ever been a project that you worked on with like a band and then other members <laughs> were getting along with I each mean, other? And you like- freelance trouble Yeah, as a freelance trouble player, like I have had a few gigs and really a few sessions where I had to do something that was really like that they didn't understand. Like it isn't, it's deemed like as a huge hurdle just to jump over alone. And it was like, ah, I can't agree with this, but I got, I got to do my best, you know? Yeah. And there was some, and there were some things too, where it was like, and this is where I kind of learned like my role is like, okay, this is where I am as the collaborator. And this is where I am as the role man. But as a, as a role man, it's just more about just doing your job and just making sure that the artist meets their needs from you. But if it's something that's like completely impossible, it's like, come on, man. But um, right. especially if like the circumstances as well as like, you know, the compensation is just not meeting the standards. So like there was one time I, I um, I'm not going to say names or anything. There was just one time I, I took a I took a small session. Right. And basically it was like just when I got off the plane um, from Orlando to help out my alma mater. And I remember him tell me, okay, this is what we're doing for this track, right? Because we basically kind of rehearsed this since November-ish, right? Mm -hmm. I remember I remember going to the session. I'm like, okay, I am tired. I I'm just, I was just like tired from the flight, right? Because I got back the day beforehand, like late at night. And he was telling me, hey, I want you to do exactly what you played in the video that we did for that rehearsal, which was like a completely improvised solo at the moment. And I just, I, I wasn't agreeing with it. I was like, I was like, hey, man, like, I'm going to do my best, but, like, it's not going to be the exact same because you just can't replicate a certain moment right. in time. Yeah. 
it's like things like it's been months so like things could change from because it was november essentially november to january so it was about two months if my math is right because I'm, I'm terrible at math but um <laughs> like things, you know man things can change in two months yeah obviously Duh. so like I, I grew musically since then but it was like It was like, hey man, like, I don't, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I could do this. And I, I was like, man, I did the voice, not to be arrogant or anything, but I was like, man, I did the voice. I got back from the plane, you know, playing with, uh, playing my alma mater when they were playing with Tia Fuller and Sean Jones and Omar Latif, and I did the Grammys and everything else I had on my resume. I was like, well, okay, why am I doing this, man? And it was like, man, it's not worth doing it. But there, but essentially, yes, there were there are some bumps on the road where it's like, man, like. whatever situation we do and you know and we're entertainers too so like you do film i do music there are some gigs man where it's just it's just totally beneath us and yeah it's just not worth our time yeah or like if the, or essentially like okay this doesn't meet this doesn't meet um this doesn't meet the pay mm -hmm. the price went up you feel me yeah essentially the price went up but um essentially with that like you know we we we, we stumble upon like we stumble upon opportunities where it's like man this is going to be an eyesore just to get through But I gotta get through it. Yeah. And you just like, uh, this is gonna be a drive, but this 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 should better Yeah. be worth it <laughs> in the end. Either We way, win too, either but way, yeah. either way you grow. Like Yeah, we we grow at the end of the day, or we or we do whatever we can to just grow and, and um, evolve. Mm Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. -hmm. Uh I'm just curious, uh during during this um uh, process of you, you know, evolving as an artist, uh Who are your go-to uh, musicians to listen to? And it doesn't even have to be jazz. Like, uh, Oh yeah, I, I got you. I got you. So. As of right now, right now, or like during the time when I started, or does it does it doesn't matter whether or not. um, during the time like when you started. So, if Okay. if you had Um, if you had to, if somebody that's a great made question. a if, if somebody made a movie about you, and they wanted and you had to have a soundtrack. of your life what artists are you putting on your soundtrack if you have the control Kamasi is my first. That's the first person that comes to mind. Uh, Beethoven and Duke Ellington and Count Basie. Whoo! when I first come when on I first started out but mm. ever since I started writing more as well as just playing more and just trying to keep my ears open to more music um it's just a, it's a long list this goes from like basically jazz dishes all the way to producers but essentially those four Mahler Wayne Shorter Joe Henderson Ambrose Was Am Ambrose is essentially one of the new new trumpet players of the twenty first century. Well, he's been around for he's been around for a cool minute, but like if you check Yeah. out Ambrose Ambrose um and his compositions, they're really unique. For And sure. I I was just listening to him yesterday, but um awesome. But I always wanted to meet him. Always wanted to pick his brand about that. But um let me see if I can remember Joe Henderson, Dilla, Timbaland, Pharrell. It was just Dilla's birthday, I think, a couple of days ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, I think he And would have um been like 49, I think. Yeah, I think he was yeah, alive. close to 50, I believe. Yeah. Then Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can't go wrong with that. All legends for sure. But essentially that that's kind of my list, essentially, of like composers that like I look up to. Or that like that, where my musical identity is being shaped. Then Ah. really, if you want to put trumpet players into consideration too, um Clifford Brown, Miles Davis, Lee Morgan, Freddie Hubbard, Roy Hargrove.
uh, Woody Shaw and no Kenny Dorham and Nicholas Payton. Mm. Personally, like those are those like those are my like those are my top guys in terms of trumpet playing. Then you also have went to Marcellus and um, Philip Smith. Got you, got you, got you. Makes sense. I like those. That's a good list. That's a really, really good list. Uh, they all make some I haven't uh checked out. I've heard of the names. Uh, mm-hmm. others, you know, you can't, you can't uh deny yeah. the the impact that they made uh musically. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Have you ever heard of uh Coco Roco? Nah, uh, you gotta put me on. Oh man, you gotta check them out. It's it's uh I think they're based in London. Uh, Coco they've been Roco. yeah K O K O R O K O, I think. And uh, yeah, the ba- I, I, last time I checked, they're based in London. They've been they've been on the scene now. I I still think that they consider like on the rise, but um, they've made really really uh solid work on albums mm-hmm. and. Uh, if I, I think the the leaders of the band, I mean it's it's um it's uh it's it's men and women and um I, women men identified and women identified I should say uh in this band and the trumpet and I think people that I think the leaders of the of the group that are that at least do brass and I think I think there's a saxophone person that plays a saxophone trumpet they women so i um it's oh, wow. actually okay. pretty fascinating but yeah they make good music i'll send you a couple songs they make cool, fire cool. They, they make fire hits for sure for sure, so, for sure um what's i think i also want to make a quick comment to like going back to uh your technique about breathing and okay. going uh and going back to uh your one of the first things that you said is when you perform you know, you got to stay, you know, you got to be calm and you got to be cool and collected. Um, do you feel like that learning that breathing trick elevated your sense of calmness when you perform as well? That's a great question. I would say, I would say yes for, for that question, because really too, it's just going back to basics. Honestly, because really, like when playing any one instrument, you always gotta breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because air air is free. Air air is free. That part. So, yeah. But in terms of the um, in terms of the mental sense, like anything anything could go. Oh, so like let's say you're performing, and let's say that you know you're performing. There's an earthquake all of a sudden, you know, or um, just other other factors too, but. I think really too, it just call it it just goes down to the mind at the end of the day, if that if if that makes sense. So really like if you just don't have like a if you do, if you don't have if your your mind's not focused on on the task at hand, I don't think you would succeed. But really too, with when it comes down to breathing and air, it really just you have to use that through the instrument, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really is how you breathe is how you sound, essentially. One hundred percent. Definitely. And speaking of earthquake, did you feel that one earthquake? I think it was last week or the week before. Nah, uh, I usually uh, I usually don't hear about it until like first thing in the morning. <laughs> I'm just I'm just used to it. Yeah, I, yeah. At this point, you're like if you're in California, you're gonna feel you. Somebody gonna feel something sometime in life. 
<laughs> uh for for sure. Uh so when it comes to those artists, you know, Miles Davis, one of my favorite jazz artists, at least, you know, the classic jazz artists, mm -hmm. you know, Miles Davis, you know, uh Coltrane. Yeah, um yeah. I, I love uh uh Dizzy, you feel me? Oh yeah, you can't uh, you can't forget about Dizzy. Yeah, you can't you can't leave him out. Uh you know, and I noticed the Miles Davis uh, picture on your wall. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, if you got to meet Miles Davis in person, uh, what would you ask him? That's a great question, bro. <laughs> um, hmm. What would I ask Miles Davis? I would ask him what are like what are nippets and tricks on like how you evolved as an artist throughout the whole years. Cause like if you look at just the history, he played with Bird, right? Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing with kind of blue with the two great quintets, mm -hmm. all the way to fusion stuff. And it's like, wow, it's a constant evolution. So I would I would ask him, like, hey, like what made you gravitate towards towards those tendencies from playing with Bird and Monk from kind of blue to all the way to the fusion stuff, like what made you attracted to that in the first place? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, why good, I, that's why I'm asking. That's a good question. Um, of course, not, neither of us met him. Uh, but if I had to take a guess, well, at least one guess is, you know, his style, his sense of style changed, um, even how he dressed, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. from, from like the 50s to, you know, to his death. And my personal, my personal uh, guess is his wife, right, Betty Davis, and who was, who was, um, she just passed away actually, but uh, she was a funk artist, like she did funk and rock and roll, mm -hmm. um, you know, pretty prolific, and she, she, I feel like that she and her style was very like out there, you know what I'm saying? Uh, right, right. It was very, very comfortable. It was uh, eccentric. And I feel like she was not, I'm not going to say the only influence, but I feel like she was a really, you know, a big impact on him as an artist and as a person. I mean, that was his, that was his wife. So mm -hmm. I'm sure that I'm sure she, um, I'm sure he would probably say that like he made, uh, that she made an impact on him musically as well. Cause yeah, like um, his first album definitely don't sound like his, his last album, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's it's wild. Bitches Brew is my personal favorite album by Miles Davis. What what would be yours? Oh, that's a great question. I think it would be Sketches of Spain. Oh, that's a good one. Because when I because I I did a lot of research into like that album for school, Miles mm -hmm. and UCLA prospectively. Um, but essentially, it's basically Miles Davis playing with the wind ensemble and the harpist in the rhythm section. Mm. It's it's super unique. It was like, wow, I never actually thought that instrumentation would go together at all. So, and it's really interesting because really it's just from what from my understanding and my memory, if that ser if it serves me correctly, the roster of of that ensemble was super diverse: black people, white people, everybody. 
right? Yeah, yeah. As well as having the appropriation of Latin cultures on top of that. Mm-hmm. It's like Concerto de Arujas was originally a, a guitar concerto. I forgot the I'm really forgetting the composer's name, but essentially it was a guitar it was a guitar concerto. And wow. Gil and Miles adapted that, well, mainly Gil because he was the composer. He adapted that for Trump and the Wind Ensemble. Then mm-hmm. with um with the other with the other um with the other tracks off that album, they're essentially tales, essentially, and meanings. Yeah. Like hidden meanings too. And I remember doing a show, um, and I think I mentioned this like during the top half of the episode where we did that tribute show. So um I remember I did that gig, right? And it was Todd Simon that was MDing the whole thing. And we did this, we did it at a place called the Wisdom, which is basically basically a pl- basically just a place or like that's about a block, about a block in width and, and land. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing but domes. So wow. I remember Hubert Laws and Ronnie Laws were playing with us, and they were the guest artists. Joseph Lineberg, who was one of the producers of The Pimper Butterfly, amazing, amazing producer, mm. and also and also a dope human being and trumpet player. He was basically playing the main melody to like every every of the Miles' tunes, essentially, or at least Concerto de Arrujas and um and some others. Then um Alfonso Johnson of Weather Report was on bass. And really, like it was just it was awesome because it was and really the cast too i play alongside with too because like some some of them had classical training most some of them had jazz training so it was a great mix of guys and the, the cake on top of that was that miles davis's nephew vince wilburn who runs the miles davis estate now mm. he was present for the show that's dope and it, it, it was it was just cool to see that and just to and to be like oh wow this is someone that's actually directly related to the greats and that's actually played with um him too because uh, Vince also played with Miles as well during during um, I would say during Miles's fusion phase, which is mm. like two two bitches brew, et cetera, et cetera. Wow, word word. That's so it, was, it was just a, it was just a, it Ooh. was just a dope hang. That's that's incredible, man. That's really incredible. Out of all out of all the shows that uh, you did, you know, doing the voice, doing uh, the Roddy Rich. The mm-hmm. doing uh, the joint with Chloe and Holly, and um, you know other. Those are the obviously the big, the big, big ones. Yeah. Uh, is there? What would you say was your favorite? Or even if it could, it could be something that I didn't even you know mention at all. That's a great question. That's a, that's a really great question. Can it be more than one? Or can it yeah, just yeah, have, yeah. Why not? Be- why not? Yeah, what? Because honestly, I learned from yeah. I learned from all of those. Honestly, so the highlights. Grammys would definitely be number one for me. Yeah, that's a flex. You know, the that's voice. A flex. The voice is a number two. The Chloe Holly Andrew. I mean, basically the Beyonce, basically the Tina Laws, um, Noel's um, gala. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tina Lawson Noel's is gala essentially. Right. That was the third for me because during that time, well, essentially, I got that through. Um, I found out about the music director um, that led us. Essentially, his name is Dr. Marcus Norris. Mm-hmm. I remember because UCLA students for grad students, we have an email chain. Essentially, like what goes on within the music school. I remember Marcus shooting the email about saying he did this film score called. Um, I mean, he did a film score for this movie called Hot for Jesus." Uh, um, I that see, release, I, I think. 
I said yeah. I saw how basically was. basically Marcus did all the music for that. And I love the music on that on that joint. Yeah, I remember I checked out his website and everything. I was like, man, let me just give him a follow on socials because I'm like, I'm just a I was a, I was a fan off the bat just listening to his stuff. Yeah. Then about really about two or three days later, he DMs me on on IG, and he was like, hey man, I'm I'm doing this I'm doing this gala for Beyonce's mom. I'm looking for a trumpet player. I was like, I found out about you. Is it cool if we could do this gig? I was like, dude, heck wow. yeah. Wow. I can do this gig. I remember we were talking about it when we did those uh four show last shows at Waco in um in January of last well, I mean last month. He was like, Man, they don't really accept that many black people in UCLA. And like it was like, man, if I'm seeing UCLA master student, I'm like, I know you gotta be cold. I was like, I was like, well, that makes sense. It, 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 <laughs> makes, it makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. So that's how I that's how I got that gig with them. But um essentially from what I learned from from that time, um, when I was with uh Dr. Norris and just doing that experience and as well as the four star shows Waco, it was just really unique because we were doing basically we were doing arrangements of like certain R and B and hip hop hits. Mm-hmm. But it was written really uniquely and and really just the energy off of that, off of that um just off of that gig off of those gigs um it was just it was like man i feel like i'm in the marching band on morehouse but like i'm really playing with i'm really playing with actual professional musicians no no knock on no knock on me playing with my with my guys from morehouse Mm -hmm. and it was fun doing that right basically that taught me how to prepare to have fun for something like this yeah it was like oh wow like i played this before in band you know and it was like wow i'm actually feeling at home doing this you know yeah and it was like man and Doing that gig too, it was like, okay, I have all these experiences I have put together. Let me put those to use. Because mm-hmm. it was like, man, I hadn't had a big gig since. Um, like I had a lot. Well, I had gigs between like, you know, when I left to go back and finish my degree to like until I graduated and stuff, and, and until that point. But essentially, it was like, okay, I've done something big as this before. I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Like no one's there, and and we were playing too, like. You know, Magic Johnson was was, you know, was in attendance. Um, That's what's up. A lot of black celebrities are in attendance, but Magic Johnson, Kelly Rowland, Jay Z was Jay Z was in the building. Beyonce was in the building. Hello. Um, Angela Bassett was presented an award there. Kiki Palmer was the hostess for this uh for this um for this ga- uh for the gala, mm-hmm. and it was just a fun time. And I remember when we did the reference tracks for um for Andrea and the Bailey sisters. Um, we recorded those reference tracks at like at the very same studio that Dr. Dre recorded the Chronic. Mm. Wow! And that was so interesting. Wow! And, and the top of it all, all, all off of that, at least during that gala, I think I was the youngest guy in there or the youngest musician in there. Really, for real? Like, yeah, and I, I was used by, to it too. By, even for, by a gap, by a gap, or by like, a good gap, I think. I think by a good gap, because I think the next guy that was up was um. I think maybe three or maybe two or three years older than me. I think. Okay. okay, okay. And what made it more special too was that it was on the weekend of my birthday. Oh, that's what's up. So the day was, so it was, a, like, reason, it was a reason to celebrate because it was like, man, it's happening on my birth. It's happening on the weekend before my birthday too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have a great time. That that and, had to be something, huh? Yeah, it was it was awesome, man. And um, really with the voice too. Um, how I got that one, I got it through a musician named Scott Mayo and. Basically, he's a saxophonist, and he doubles on every woman instrument besides, I think, oboe and bassoon, right? Mm-hmm. So anything that any 
any reed instrument besides double reeds. But essentially, he's he's been in the game for a minute. So like he did Tears of Earth, Wind, Fire, did John Legend, won a few Grammys, and et cetera, et cetera. Basically, his resume is as long as Jones's and and uh, and Dante's. So I remember meeting him at Disney Hall, mm-hmm. and when we did, um, it was like this past summer. This for Isiola. So like we did a tribute to Marvin Gaye, and you know, um, the director of Isiola, you know, brought in three saxophonists and. Uh, two of them who I knew and Scott I knew about for for a little bit. I, I just never got a chance to talk to him face to face. So I remember meeting Scott and it was like, oh, okay, cool. It's nice to meet you. And I'm like, hey, I'm Kenneth Brown. Um, we're friends on Facebook. I'm Jones's student. I graduated from this school. I'm here now at UCLA. He's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And I remember, I remember talking to him again because I was um I was in the car with my homie right and we were just finished shedding at another at another friend's house. I remember we, it was the three of us on the phone together. He was like, "Hey man, just come by the studio," because he had his he had his own studio in Pasadena mm-hmm. called Pipewind Studios, basically okay. his own studio, own property and everything. I didn't get to go with my homie, but my homie went before I did. Then I went um, once I got my car back, and I was just enamored by like by the space that he had. I was like, "Oh wow, he had like he had like a real studio with actually top notch equipment." Mm-hmm. And we were just talking it up, and he was like. Hey man, let me just save your contact information and everything. So I, I gave him my scannable business card. He scanned the business card. And next thing you know, it's supposed to be in concert, one of the contractors for um the TV shows that he works for. Then sooner than I realized, right, it was that December. I was over at Derek's house and we were making a beat. I remember one of the contract, the contractor um that put me in con- that Scott put me in contact with, he was like, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, Oh, I just got this one gig. But I was like, wait a minute, I'm I'm being stupid. I was like, Okay, he's a contractor for these TV shows. I'm doing nothing then. So I was like, yeah, I got nothing to do. He was like, okay, cool. I'll send you details and everything about the COVID testing and everything. I was like, hey, I, I remember calling my friend that was on the same gig as me. He's like, hey, man, like, I know there's like a bunch of trauma players on this gig that we have coming up on Saturday. Just cover my part. I have some like super important like opportunity that I got that I got to cover this mm-hmm. weekend. Then the rest was history. And when I when I got there, um, I remember who I remember I remember getting the email beforehand like who was gonna be there. So it was myself and Scott. Then um Lassim Ahmed, he's a amazing trombonist and a photographer too. He's cold with the he's cold with photography as well. I did I dig that. Cam Johnson, trouble player, um, this stuff for Kanye West, and um he's also like a Bach artist too, and basically he's sponsored by Bach, the company, oh, the music company. Gotcha. Um Er Navarro. And Leon Silva. Leon Silva did um basically he was on the he was on those um Justin Timberlake albums that came out in 2013, uh 2020. He was in that horn section essentially. Oh okay. so essentially, like it's all these guys that are like way older than I am, essentially. Like all of them are in their 30s and up. Right. So Scott's the oldest guy, and everybody else are like in their 30s, 40s-ish. And I remember just being like Someone that's not even 25 yet, just being there, I was like, wow, man, I'm nervous, right? But I got yeah. I got the job done, and I just remember learning each from every one of those musicians on like on gems that um I just took with me. I was like, man, this is like a learning this is like a learning experience all over again because it was like, okay, I'm relearning information that I was taught at Morehouse, but I'm also learning new information on top of that. That's fine. And that and that was a fun time uh, to do that. But really, like, essentially, my top gigs definitely Grammy's voice, Ellen. Ellen felt like. Um, Ellen, you was on Ellen, yeah, with Kelly. 
Oh shit! Wow. Yeah, it's all it's all good. It's all wow. good. I know, I know, wow! Wow! I, I, I didn't know that. Like <laughs> that's but dope. Basically, Josh got me that opportunity. He was like, "Hey man, you want to be a part of the music video?" And I remember we did Kelly Rollins by Magic music video, and it was myself, Joshua, um, my Kellen trombone, um, my good friend from high school, Justin Gilmore uh, Gresham, amazing trumpet player, an amazing uh, big band writer. Then my homie Summer Brooks, who's also another amazing trumpet player, does a lot of does a lot of lead stuff now, um, and around my age, and basically. Basically, we basically we just you know we show up somewhere at some um, center in Watts and we filmed the music video. It was under the direction of um, I think you might know him, uh, Myoa. You might not what? know him, but no, no, yeah, no, my, I... Myoa did Myoa did that and Ellen essentially. Right, got it, got it. Wow. And when we got there to when we got there for Ellen, right? Because it was the same week as I was recording stuff for the Grammy. So like the day beforehand, I was in the studio recording, um the stuff for Roddy along with um Dante and um Madison Cowley. Madison Cowley pulled up to the studio. And that wow. was a whole nother that was a whole nother experience. Yeah. But like the day after I was like, man, I gotta get up at five o'clock in the morning. And I was like, hey Summer bro, can can we just pull together to this thing? Cause he was like, it was way out there, like way out in the boonies, essentially. Wow. So like <laughs> past Northridge. Uh, and the house that we were in, it was like a big, it was like a big piece of land. It was like Michael Jackson Ranch type of type of feeling. Mm-hmm. and we got there and it was like everybody was black and it was like oh wow this feels like school again but everyone was like wow i've never been in this space before i was like yeah man this is what it's kind of like being at hbcu but just more at a smaller scale if that makes sense mm-hmm. they kind of understood that and it was it was it was like it was really great just to have that again because it was like man i'm actually being around black people again like you know like back at school yeah you know yeah. that's yeah, those are, yeah. go ahead no, go ahead, bro. I got you. Oh, I was gonna say I think that's uh really dope how during all of this you just soaking up the game from you know people that have been in this uh uh show business, so to speak, for uh for a minute. And you still relative I mean your feet been wet, but <laughs> at, at this but point I'm, I'm still yeah, yeah. But you I'm know still kind of new to this thing. Yeah. Yeah. They've been swimming. You still, you know. Uh, so still relatively getting your feet wet, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, still so trying, think, still trying to find the fort, you know, uh, or still trying to build the fort. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's real cool how um you they you you had uh the opportunity to go into these situations and not only kill it, but uh but still um and network mm-hmm. um but also showcase you know your skills and and um add to your resume and, you know, have, I don't know, extra bragging rights. And not only that, just being belong there. Cause yeah, you belong in, yeah. those, in that space. Like that shit was yeah. yours. You know what I mean? You definitely deserved all those things. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's just a, again, it's just a blessing to um just to do that. And I just, you know, I'm just like, Hey, hey I, you know, I did this opportunity. Let me go back to the lab and, you know, and, you know, work for the next one. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's all that's what's all about for me. Like I I really don't tell people I I did the Grammys or like I did the Grammys or I did Ellen. Not to say like just to be super humble or anything, but it's like, well I I am doing it just to be like really humble, just really being sincere. But yeah. at the same time, when it's the right time to mention those things, I mention those things instead yeah. of just saying just instead of just saying you know just popping it out of like basically like throwing it out of thin air and say oh I did this out of just out of something random, you know just mm-hmm. to throw off the conversation. 
But whenever there's times where I mention like, hey, I, I did all these things, then, you know, I, I mentioned that it's like, oh, I do this, that and the third. Check this out. Or like, oh, I have this album out. Like, I just mention those whenever I have to, whenever I feel like I need to mention those. Yeah, 100%. Because you you don't want people to, um, I guess, define yeah, I your, to define your talent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's that's dope. I, I totally respect yeah. that. I get it. I totally get it. It's, it's necessary. Because you don't want people looking at you different or getting all star-eyed as soon as you mention uh yeah those things like off rip all the time but i, I kind of lost but really too like over time as you know as i mature as like i matured a lot and started seeing things like a lot more from like okay from like a very calm perspective it's like i don't really care what people think of me but whenever it's like hey man if you're not treating me the way i need to be treated or anything like i just tell you hey man i'm not someone personally that actually deserves to go out like this you know, right, right. this, that, and the third. It's like, hey, man, don't forget, man. Like, I did this, that, I did this, that, and the third. And I'm going to back it up by doing so. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, hey, man, you're like really, really good at this thing. It's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you said that, but like, I, I still got a long way to go to reach, like, to to reach my maximum potential at this thing. That part, yeah, because it's still the relatively the beginning for you. I still feel like you're just getting started. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I have a feeling too. It's just, it's just more of a for me, at least what I'm learning from this, it's more of a matter of being deliberate on everything mm-hmm. and knowing that everywhere you go, like there's going to be someone that will watch you on everything, mm-hmm. either from face to face or all, even on the gram too. So like on the gram, like I hardly post anything. <laughs> it's like You can look at <laughs> yeah. my IG, like if you just look at it, it's like it's not a bunch of videos of me playing or anything. Not to say that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm against or anything like I respect the grind of like, you know, posting posting like videos of you playing every day personally for me i see my i personally was like man what if my ig was just like a time capsule of my journey and let's say someone looks back and it's like oh okay i see the growth mm-hmm. i see like okay i see what this is about this is who kenneth brown is you know and sometimes um here this then the third like whenever i have to post something let's say like something that has to deal with something that's profound to me you know i, I post it right here and there and you know i'm, I'm not really the type of guy that you know spams videos every day and try to post them on ig reels or anything i was just like no nah. whenever i do something big and it's like worth posting i i post it right why not <laughs> i get yeah. that now uh so who is kenneth brown without the trump beat? like what do you what do you love doing without music like do you like take walks or something do you uh I like watching basketball because I did I I played basketball growing up until um so I got to college after after college I stopped I was like ah, I'm good enough to I was like I I didn't feel like I was good enough to do college well ah in retrospect like if I put more time in basketball I think I I think I could have pulled off college but that's for that's again that's my opinion but I mean that's fair <laughs> basically I, I watch basketball all the time I watch anime oh um, word word honestly without Listen, I listen to music, but if you want to put the music part aside, definitely basketball, watch anime, yeah. spending time with my family, spending time with my family members. So like my my, my parents and my brother, um, my brother's over at Howard right now. So like I talk to him every once in a while just to check up on him. That's I help my mom and dad around the house because um, rent rent in LA is is abysmal at this point. Ooh, so it's like, man. so it's like, man, I'll I'll just save it for a house and 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 just take and take that route. And um, <laughs> honestly sleeping well yeah Definitely yeah sleeping. you need that 
You need that. Then um reading books and listening to pop then reading books and listening to podcasts too. Like I haven't done the reading and the podcast listening as much as I want to, but like whenever I just feel like, man, I'm I need to like I need to like take my time off and like listen to something outside of music or like do something outside of this. Reading and reading and music is uh reading and podcast listening as well as just watching basketball and watching anime are like my go-to things. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to dig into that uh a little bit too. What was the last book that you read and what did you take away from that? Ooh, uh great question. Actually, I have it right here. I'm actually digging into it right now, but it's a it's a it's a book I picked up while I was at Jen. But basically it's a basically it's a jazz music theory book, right? Okay. And basically it just it just goes over from basic theory all the way to like advanced jazz theory. But like for me at least, I I always thought that, you know. I wanted to learn more jazz theory. And I was like, well, I just need a book or something that I could put my hands on that yeah. I, I could learn from it. And I was like, that, and I found that book during Jen because I was remember talking to um talking to one of the panelists about it. Well, not one of the panelists, but people that were, you know, posted up at the on the on the little desk, right? And they're like, hey, you should probably buy this book because this is like a go-to for all education in jazz. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll take the book. And it was like, it was for it was for a reasonable price. So I, I got that. Then mm-hmm. that's the only book I I picked up. Then another one is wait wait um, who uh, who's the author for the Jazz Theory book? Um, let me see. I believe it's Mark Levine. Let me double check. Yeah, oh, Mark okay. Levine. Noted. Okay, noted. For then sure. whenever I just feel like hey, I need to up my game in the music business, I read this book from Passman called All You Need to Know About the No. Actually, I have it right here. I'm trying to. Think. I'm trying to reach to this book, but basically it's Donald Passman's All You Need to Know About the Music Business. Mm. And it's it's pretty much a standard, um, no, no matter what. So it's a standard. So like I remember talking, basically I found out about this book when I took a music business class somewhere else. Shout oh, out gotcha. to Professor Thrash. Because okay. he, he taught the class. Um, and he put me on, he, he basically, basically the whole curriculum is based off that book. He's like, hey man, like, this is basically the guide to everything you need to know about copyright, artists managing etc cetera, etc cetera. publishing no matter what yes sir. So i was like okay cool I'll, i'm gonna stick to that book so and it was and it was and it was awesome taking that class i mean even though it was during covid it was just awesome taking that class because it was like oh wow i'm seeing more music from the business side of things now mm-hmm. for real for real without like looking at online videos or anything it was like okay this is straight from the source where they get it from right right so, and podcasting, right? Uh, what's a podcast that you enjoy? What's a podcast that you've been going back to? The Quest Love Supreme podcast, bro. I love that one, bro. Like, I love that one so much. I, I I just got into that one too. Um, like when I just got back, um, no, back in June, I got into that, and I remember, yeah, I I forgot which episodes I listened to, but the one that stuck out to me the most was definitely Wayne Shorter's one. Uh, okay. I remember talking to another mentor of mine. I will not name this mentor just for the sake of um, because once I've named this men- if I've named this mentor, people are gonna ask me a bunch of questions. And I was like, nah, <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather keep that, I'd rather keep that a secret. But that part basically one of one of the new mentors I've I've acquired since I got back, he was like, Yeah, man, most of your compositional writing is is similar to Wayne Shorter's, in my opinion. I was like, Really? Because I've 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 knew of Wayne and everything. I've been a huge fan of his work, but I never really got a chance to dig into Wayne's. Uh, compositional style like that or look at it like that because i always looked at him as a saxophonist mm-hmm. uh first and foremost so once i did more digging and um he was like hey man just put on our blakey and the jazz messenger since he was like the go-to md for that for that group he's like yeah uh go to ping pong etc cetera, etc cetera. 
And I did the math, right? And I did the research. And even some of Wayne's tunes, it was like, oh, wow, this is something that I actually could definitely do on that wow. scale, but just in my own way. But still, like, Wayne Shorter's, like, compositional tendencies are, like, kind of like the backbone to my compositional writing now, mm. which is super astounding. So once I did that, I was like, okay, let me look more into, let me look more into what Wayne thinks um, psychologically about everything. And I, I remember going to Questlove Supreme podcast and it was Wayne Shorter right there. And I listened to the whole, I listened to the whole thing and it was super mm. astounding. Yeah. Because Wayne Shorter is more, Wayne Shorter is like one of the more extraordinary minds of black music. Yeah. Essentially. Because really like he was kind of like the starter to like mixing sci-fi with music, if that makes sense, or thinking from the sci-fi perspective. For sure. It's like he's a huge fan of Star Wars, right? Right. So... And he's also, I think he's also fat. He's also faculty of uh, the Hancock Institute at UCLA, but that's a whole different department than the department I'm in now, which is the performance department. But essentially, at the music school at UCLA, we're all trying to like integrate each other in, still with like being in different ensembles, et cetera, et cetera. But um, basically, Wayne is really interesting as a as a human being and as a and as a and as a composer too. So. Um, yeah, so Questlove Supreme Podcast is one of them. Then there's another well, well, one that's well, close. Hold on, real quick. I gotta yeah. I gotta say a couple things. Uh one, uh I didn't know Wayne Shorter was on there, so I gotta go back and listen to that one. So I need I gotta lock in on that. Uh two, uh that's funny how you mentioned that because um my dad put me on to Questlove Supreme a while back, and the first episode that I listened to was uh Pat Matheny. Pat Matheny was that's on one that's that's one of my to do lists. That's a good one. You that's that's that. one of my to-dos, yeah. I think I listened to the Alicia Keys one, then... That's a good one, too, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what other one. Ah, uh, it was it was another one, but I cannot remember it. Terrence Blanchard. There was Alicia Keys and Terrence Blanchard. Those oh, were Yeah, Terrence Blanchard has his own episode. Oh, I gotta, I gotta tap into that one. Mm-hmm. Say less. I mean, I, I kind of got into it a little bit late. Like, by the time I got into it, it was already hella episodes in there. So there's still something I'm still trying to yeah. catch up on. And um, it's funny because on one of my podcast episodes, it was actually one of my first ones. I did a five podcast shout outs. <laughs> and Questlove Supreme was definitely one of them, for sure. Yeah. And there's another one I listened to, I just got put onto, but it's one hosted by Jam Card, essentially. I, it's, I really forgot the name, but the, I, I listened to two episodes off of that. Terrace Martin had his own episode. Oh, then Ronald Bruno Jr. had his own episode. Sure. And those are really great episodes, man. Wow. Um, okay. But Ronald's up. right. Basically, I never knew Ronald Bruno Jr. played for Prince, ever. I never knew he did that. He did? But he did, yeah. He did at one point in time. Wow. Then, as well as Shaka Khan. So I, I knew about the... Sh- Wait, I knew about the Shaka Khan joint. I knew that part. But yeah, he, he also... He also did Prince as well, but essentially Ronald Bruno is like basically I I understood Ronald more as a as a person, not as a person, but more so like what he's thinking as well as you know okay how is he actually that good? It's like oh no, it's a gift mm-hmm. that he has when it comes down to drums. It makes sense, for sure. Yeah, I dig that, bro. And uh, now shifting to anime, I gotta ask you, you know. You know, correlating jazz and anime. So I'm assuming you've seen Cowboy Bebop, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay. a, it's a, it's a, it's a great combination for sure. It was, it's a, it's one of the greatest combinations ever. One hundred percent. What uh, other animes are you into? Obviously, Dragon Ball Z. 
because really like with Dragon Ball, it's more about really just like taking on the strongest talents possible that you can find and just trying to find a solution to um or fighting through the solution to uh to do that. So that's why that's what I love about Dragon Ball. That's true. Um uh, it's too many off the top of my head, but you Hakusho, Bleach. Yeah. Um Demon Slayer. Love Demon Slayer. Trying to figure out. I'm I'm going back and forth, but um Spy Family. I gotta get into that one. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Yep. Just to be Pacific. Can't beat that one. Then uh it's too many off the top of my head, but now um, Naruto, because I feel like Naruto was uh I haven't kinda... watched that one yet, actually, but that's 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 why I'm gonna binge during the summer. Okay, Naruto okay. for sure. Yeah, um, if you like that premise, you know, getting through mm-hmm. like a struggle, getting through tough periods and still yeah. trying to be your best, Naruto's obviously oh yeah, then bad. then bleach. Bleach is also another favorite of mine. Yeah. Um Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan for sure. Attack on Titan been pissing me off, bro. I know with the with with these um one hour three part uh finales. Yeah, that shit is stupid. Like if you going if you're gonna say this is the final season, like release a movie or something. I mean, but what I'm saying. um Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. That's another one that's really unique to me. I haven't gotten um, into that one. I heard that one's good though. It's cool. I think personally for me, part two and part three and part five are my favorite ones. No of that. For sure. Part two, three, and five for sure are my favorites. Um, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Gintama is another one of mine. That's a that's a favorite of mine. It's really funny, super wow. funny. Then um, I believe that's it. Then um, I think one more just to just for the sake of one more. Black Clover. Black Clover is another favorite of mine. Then um, I hit the re- um. I can't pronounce the Japanese version of it, but it's the anime called Reborn. It's about the Reborn. ball. It's about like a basically it's about Basically, it's a baby that's actually a um, part of a, a mafioso in Italy, essentially, and he trains and or tutors this like this kid out in Japan Whoa. to train him to be the next boss of the said mafioso. Oh shit! It's, a, it's an underrated anime, but okay. Reborn is a Reborn is a good one to have. Okay, I'm about to look. I actually know. I feel like I heard of that one, but I could. It came be out like it came on. It, it came out like somewhere into the thousands. So like within like, like 2007, the age of, like, right? Like 2007. Like, Close to close to 05, 07. Let me look it up because I, it was that, that sounds the, about right. But it was on if it, 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 it kind of it was it was great for the manga, but like the the anime kind of like flew under the radar. Gotcha, gotcha. That's another one I watch as well. Oh, that that I've watched and that was like okay, I could definitely watch this again. Word, two thousand six, two thousand six. Yeah, but this yeah. Samurai Champloo. Oh, that's my shit, it, bro. I, I, Talk I can't about it. Alpha, I can't forget about Afro Samurai either. I was like, dang, I knew Talk about it. After, Talk Afro about Samurai. It. Yeah, and I, both criminally underrated, and it showed Samuel L. Jackson's range like crazy. You no, know what I mean? And it shows it also shows RZA as like a film scorer too. That part is like because because Riz, really RZA is an amazing film scorer. Well, yeah, that and uh, Kill Bill. You know what I mean? And Kill Bill too. Yeah, yeah, Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like RZA is stupid when it. I, I feel like people don't talk about RZA enough as a. As a composer, compared to what he did, what he does, you know, musically, I think I feel like he's mad underrated in that regard. Yeah, he's he's really underrated. Um, in that in that, I I I agree with that too. He's definitely underrated. But um, even with his show uh, that Wu Tang um, the saga series, 
yeah the saga the uh the, the hulu one um that's really interesting too it was um it was how it's being like really like really precise on everything with um each of the scenes too yeah for sure is, yeah definitely and and going back to samurai shampoo you know that that's my shit too the music in there rest in peace new job is uh you know he the way that <laughs> the music matched with the energy of the the premise is unmatched and i feel like people don't give that show enough credit either yeah yeah i dig that it's a, bro. it's a cool show too then um you ever watch soul eater or i've seen, like, I've, I've seen one episode but i haven't got into it like it the episode i watched i don't i can't even remember what it was rested about but i was like oh, okay this is cool but yeah so soul Eater is interesting too as well as fire force i, th I think they're in the same universe if i'm not mistaken I need to they are in the same universe because one of the characters made an appearance in one of those shows. Oh, where? Later on. Yeah. If you watch Soul Eater first, then then move on to Fire Force, you'll understand what I mean. Okay. But I'm gonna have to do that. I'll uh I'll I'll put that in my note to start that and then do yeah. what's the what's the other one called again? Fire Force. Fire Force. Okay, bet. Say less. Okay, cool. I like that. I like that. Um now again, going back to what uh what you said about dragon ball z you know it's a good representation of you know fighting against you know going through sticking to your goal like literally no matter what uh is set against you and again going back to what we were saying about you know kobe right i just wanted to transition to basketball right you and i you and yeah. i already talk about basketball all the time so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what's what's been first of all what's your team are you a laker fan or Born and raised is like a fan. Nothing ah, else. That's fair. That's cool. Um, and so what's been how do you feel? How do you feel what's been going on with the Lakers right now, bro? I'm not shocked, but I'm also confused. But I'm I'm not shocked either. I'm like, okay, cool. We we got I think we got more help, I guess. But um but it's like, man, you could have made those moves maybe like Maybe like before the season started, maybe, but at the same time, I at at the end of the day, I think it would I think it's just all it's just a big like knot that's been tied and it's, they're trying to like unloosen it. But mm. I commend them from trying to like trying to like move forward with this and stuff. But as long as they don't really like waste, um they kind of did it already, but as long as they don't waste LeBron's like last years, mm. I'll be cool with it. I just didn't like how they wasted Kobe's last years after the Achilles injury. Yeah. But um again, LeBron and Kobe's careers are totally different from one another. Right. But as long as they don't as long as they take the opportunity to like build around LeBron as well as, you know, making sure Anthony Davis is healthy and just add more depth um to that roster, I think they'll be uh, they'll be in playoff contention for like at least another season or two, if if that makes sense, in my in my honest opinion. But again, time will tell depending on like how this sort of like new look Lakers is looking. Um, but again, at, at the end of the day, I think it's just a, it was a whole fiasco. Oh yeah, um, indeed. just a whole mess. Indeed, because it was like, well, it was kind of like, again, it kind of went to the players as well as like the front office. But yeah, um, again, like we'll probably never know like what what really went down, you know, during that time, unless unless the Lakers reveal like another docu series like they did um on Hulu uh recently. The Legacy um, that one was really good. Yeah, not unless they release a legacy part two or mm. something. But um 
again, we'll never know what really, really what kind of went down or what they were thinking when they were making those uh trades and moves. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. I I, I really feel bad for um Westbrook in particular because like this is a that was a player that gave it hundred percent every time. Right. But this was someone that had to like basically was juggled around by the media as well as just, you know, really by the media on this on like his on like his stance and everything. Oh, on yeah. um on the role of the team and that kind of like that kind of like got him uh, that kind of like got him out of his mind so like i understand what it's like you know being being thrown off course for real and, um by by like things that are not in your control so as long as he like finds a team where that he's comfortable with and that he can mesh with he could bounce back but i, I do see him i do see him in in the miami heat uniform though mm. playing with jimmy Butler, bam out mm. of i think that would be a great mm. team Oh, if they make yeah. if they made the right yeah. if, if Miami makes the right decisions and hmm. actually put Russell Westbrook alongside Jimmy Butler and you know, Bam out of bio, then I think I think they could go I think they could go to um the second round or third round or even the finals maybe. Agreed. Because really the East the, the East right now is like it's pretty much open besides because really if if I'm not mistaken, Milwaukee's still Milwaukee. Boston. Philly's still Boston and Philly. So mm-hmm. Pretty much just those three there. Then the Cavs. I can't forget about the Cavs because the Cavs have been on fire. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love, okay. I love, actually, I love what that team did after. Um, they made a, they made the right, they made definitely, they made a great move in, in landing, um, in landing Spider. It's, oh, it's, a, it's, a, just, it's, it's an amazing fit, and it makes Agreed. so much sense. Agreed. But uh, if they, let's say if they add Russell Westbrook, and let's say if like you know, because I think Russell is fit for like, you know, Miami's culture. Essentially, of, of the of you know working hard and hardly working you know type yeah. of type of vibe yeah. and just you know yeah doing that i think if he gets into the atmosphere again and goes to a situation where it matters most mm-hmm. um not to say that the lakers one didn't matter most but like if he goes into a brighter situation where you know it's a brighter culture essentially and less lights are on him essentially and this is like okay you're in a new situation and you're surrounded by actual like then like everyone's gonna allow you to play the point guard too. Yeah. I think I think you'll feel well with Miami system in, in my own honest opinion. I think yeah. I think that'll be a great I think that'll be a great fit. Honestly, be, I think that'll be that, yeah for sure because that there's a there's a certain level of mentality that you gotta have when you play for yeah, Miami. He, he fits that he fits that mentality, especially during definitely God. <laughs> technically technically like he could still play. Yeah, you it's gotta be a dog. It's just that the it's just that. The situation they had with LA, it 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 wasn't it wasn't to his favor. Yeah, agree. Like and, even and when I, he yeah. even when he came off the bench too, like it was it was it was actually the great it was actually a good situation for him to have. It just wasn't like it wasn't ideal for him. But let's say he's starting, has the same energy as he had, you know, when he was leading that second unit with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And let's say like he just gets his mind, you know, back together. I think he'll be fine in Miami, playing alongside with Jimmy Butler. Facts. So, Facts. And, you know, that I'm sure that kind of that had to hurt for Russ, too, because, you know, he's from there. You know what I mean? He he from yeah. he from there. And I'm sure we all expected it to um, be a, a, a good fit because because mm-hmm. of the dog that he got in him. Right. But mm-hmm. what, but um, yeah, I thought he was really productive of coming off the bench. But at the same time, we all know that this is not. Um, that wasn't that wasn't him. Yeah, we all we all knew that. We all knew that he was. We all knew that his um, uh, 
impact was restraint. It had to be restrained. Yeah, like he was kind of putting, he was kind of like put like in the box for some, for if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of that too, I think if you're, I think really now since media is more prevalent than ever, I think if you're from LA and you're playing for like the Lakers in particular, like it's a lot to take in. It's such, wow, it's, it's a lot so to much. take in. Like look at, Oof, like, man. like look at, um, like look at Lonzo, like, or even any Laker player, any young Laker player, like past 20, uh, past the you know past 2015 2016 like they thrive like when once they got traded yeah. so Julius Randle, Lonzo Ball, Jordan Clarkson, Kuzma, all all those, Caruso. All those guys that, Caruso, Caruso, Ingram, yeah, yeah Ingram became a all Ingram and and, D, and D'Angelo Russell who surprisingly plays for us now technically yeah. they they were all stars yeah. like the season after they left mm-hmm. immediately. It's- it's kind of like the, this Lakers like low key a hazing period. <laughs> well, well, let me not say hazing. That's a that's a little bit strong. It's more like a I call it like the wrong... I call it like the I call it like the Hollywood atmosphere. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you oh, the, Lakers, oh, like yeah. the Laker or the Laker uh the Laker pressure. Yeah. Because yeah, or LA after, pressure. Yeah. Because after they leave, maybe it's less pressure. Because number one, they're playing in a smaller market. Um, yeah. unless unless it's uh, yeah, they are playing a smaller market, and number two, um, uh, they have more, I guess, wiggle room to work with to elevate. Yeah, along with that, along with that too, I think with the Lakers' history of winning history, like they're they're like a winning, they're like a gold standard franchise. Exactly. So they have no, they have no time for like, okay, we're gonna make sure we're we're gonna hold, like figuratively hold your hand through these learning curves. It's like, no, we want you to win now. Yep. Exactly, <laughs> and that's and, that, and that's yeah. been like that since um since the days of Magic Johnson, if not yeah. a little bit further back. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but yeah, I, I personally like L.A. Lakers are not meant to be for like really young rookies or anyone that's not really considered a vet, mm-hmm. yeah, or like a like like a hard veteran. Like you got to be a veteran and you got to be mentally like right there, yeah, you know, right there locked in or to play for them. Not to say like. The young Lakers team was not locked in, but it's just that you know, they were just they were just young. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that that's the that's the same thing that goes with um, being a musician or being an entertainer in L.A. Because like, basically, like music music entertainment scene in L.A. or even music scene in L.A. I remember uh, Scott telling me about this. Is like, yeah, like music scene in L.A. is like the NBA, where like everybody can play, even the people that don't like that don't really play play like. You know for a fact they can't play for squat, can still play, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and it comes with a it comes with you gotta have mental fortitude for that. That was a fire combo. Although the NBA predictions didn't end too well, <laughs> but it's all good. Shout out to Russell Westbrook for playing his heart out with the Clippers, man. He played so good, played his heart out despite the elimination, but it's cool. Shout out to the Lakers for making it this far in the playoffs. These trades were completely necessary and they've been making good moves. And of course, shout out to the Miami Heat for getting it done in the first round against Milwaukee. I did not see that coming at all. Hemi Buckets is different. Obviously, me and Kenneth still talk about basketball all the time. Be sure to follow Kenneth on Instagram at Kenneth underscore brown underscore music 
it'll be good to keep up with his story, keep up with his projects, keep up with his collaborations. Also, as I said in the beginning, make sure to check out The Rise on all streaming platforms. I also have a couple of announcements. I'm on Patreon now. Just type in my name, Ricky Dino, at Patreon, and you'll be able to see some exclusive video footage of these podcast episodes. Also, as I said before, I'm a writer and I'm a poet, and I have a substack, Ricky Denham's Words. That's the name of the brand. If y'all would like to keep up with my writing, I'm on Substack. It's rickydenham.substack.com. That's where I'll be posting my poems, reviews, short stories, dreams, etc. So be sure to check that out as well. Thank y'all so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. Until next time, peace.